You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. A jam-packed edition of the show before the show from MILB.com is here. Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday afternoon, May 29th. My name is Tyler Vaughn. Sam Dykstra on the other side of the internet in New York City. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. I think that's how the internet works. Yeah, my can, it seems to be tethered pretty well yeah. uh, going across the, the United States of America. Is yours coming yeah, through okay? It's, it's pretty, you know, pretty clear. It seems like uh, it's a good connection, can to can, right. as they do in 2019. Uh, and we're talking all things <laughs> minor league baseball on this week's episode, as we do always. Thanks for tuning in uh, to the show before the show, wherever you find us, at milb.com slash podcast, or on your iPhone or your Android or every, everywhere else. Uh, you can get in touch with the show, podcast at milb.com. We got an email in from uh, Charles Belfield, one of our uh, loyal listeners who just sent us a uh, an email with a link inside to a Democrat and Chronicle story from Rochester, New York. And the subject line of the email, quote, Rochester Red Wings sell more than 11,000 hot dogs on Memorial Day. <laughs> and Charles just wrote, you're welcome. <laughs> so, you know, we're covering it all this week. There were 50 <laughs> we are cents, talking about Rochester way. later, though, with Ben. We are. So we are going to have a little Rochester into conversation. Um, they were 50-cent hot dogs. They limited people to four hot dogs per person, per transaction. A lot of teams do dollar hot dog night. This is like you're really tempting fate with 50-cent hot dogs. Right. So four per person, per transaction? Yeah. So, so like, I guess you can buy four, go to the back of the line, and then just walk back up and buy four more. But, like, if we were both on the transaction – would we get eight? Because like it's four for me and four yeah, for you. Yeah, per person, I would think so. Yeah. We'll have to test this out sometime. Okay. We if somebody go wants to have a quarter dog night, maybe we'll we'll go in <laughs> with with what our budget is for this podcast. We can do quarter a dog night, I think. <laughs> so with that, uh, we'll get started on three strikes for this week's episode. We got some big promotion news from a couple of different spots in the minor leagues. Uh, Jared Kelenic, the second-ranked prospect in the Seattle Mariners organization and MLB.com's number 45 overall, batted 303, 391, 564 with 10 homers and 26 RBIs in 49 games with Class A West Virginia in the South Atlantic League. He is gone from the South Atlantic League now, bumped up to the California League and Class A advanced Modesto, a little bit higher up the ladder. Tampa Bay Rays organization, Brendan McKay, the third-ranked prospect in that system, has made the jump to AAA, where he actually debuted last night with five scoreless innings for the AAA Durham Bulls. Uh, That was after a strong start to the season in the Southern League with AA Montgomery. He led the league in strikeouts, ERA, whip, and opponent's batting average. Um, Those two guys, maybe not a a huge surprise that they were going to make this climb this year, but maybe a surprise with how quickly, especially in the case of Jared Kelenic, who goes 49 games in the Sally League, makes the jump up to the California League and that's a guy who was just drafted in the first round last year obviously by the New York Mets uh, and then traded to the Seattle Mariners over the offseason but that's a quick climb for a kid who's 19 already being high A. Yeah and I mean all the reports we've heard about Kalenic even going back to last year uh, when he was in the GCL and rookie level uh, Kingston uh, is that you know he is really tooled up he he has five tools that all could be averaged to plus right now um he's shown that even after the move to the mariner system um right now he's the number 42 overall prospect in baseball 
I could see him ending the year's top 25, um, one of the most exciting outfield prospects in the game. We'll have to see what he does with this transition to the Cal League. As much as we say, hey, the Cal League's a hitter's league, he should thrive there. Um, he's still facing more difficult pitching. And you know, for somebody who was playing high school ball just a year ago, um, this is really interesting. He is a little bit older in terms of a high school pick. He's he's 19 now, but he'll be turning 20 in July. Um, I don't think that affects the calculus here that much. I think it purely just comes down to performance and you know the type of tools that he has. You mentioned um, you know hitting 303 with a 391 OBP, 564 slugging percentage. That's almost right on the line of the kind of three, four, five I love seeing out of hitters. Uh, Ten home runs, seven stolen bases, showing off that. Good power for his age and also above average run tool. Um, just ticking all the boxes and to see the Mariners push him in this way shows that they know what they have. And they might be even more excited about him now than the day they acquired him in that Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz deal. Um, so getting to see him push like this is, is really, really neat. Uh, Mets fans, I'm sorry uh, that you know this has kind of happened to you. Justin Dunn. Uh, another prospect that moved over, he's had a pretty good year so far this year. Um, and meanwhile, Cano and Diaz haven't pushed the Mets over in the way that they had hoped when they made that deal. And it seemed like a very short term move, um, even if Diaz has a couple of years of control. Um, you know, they haven't reaped the rewards in the way that they have. Meanwhile, Kalenic is becoming one of the most promising prospects in baseball. Um, but anyway, that's a story for another day. Uh, really cool to see him move here and, and, and what he can do in the Cal League is going to be fascinating. So kudos to the Mariners for pushing him when they thought he was ready, and kudos to Kalenic for making it happen. Uh, Brendan McKay makes that jump also. Uh, he has been really interesting throughout his minor league career in the obviously the start to his career as a two-way player um this year the the Tampa Bay Rays really wanted him to focus on being a pitcher um he's gone in nine total outings this year between Montgomery and Durham now the season-long ERA is 1.16 um a 4-0 record he's made one relief appearance but his numbers this year you know he hadn't put up bad numbers really anywhere throughout his minor league career as a pitcher um but this year you can tell this is the calling card. This is what's going to get him to the big leagues. Yeah, definitely. He's going to be much more of a, a pitcher, I think, than a hitter. Um, it, it, I was thinking about this earlier today. I mean, yeah, he had five scoreless innings in his pitching debut for Durham. Uh, if the Rays could find any way to do it, uh, part of me wishes, thinks they would love to like send you know, McKay – to triple a and keep the pit the hitter at montgomery yeah, yeah there's no way that can happen obviously you can't clone the guy and send him two different places but he needs work offensively that hasn't clicked in quite the way that everybody hoped it, it would um but pitching wise he needed the challenge i mean it wasn't going to do him any good especially if you see him as primarily a, a pitcher who could someday maybe help out in a kind of otani role um he you know he needed to be challenged you mentioned all those ways he was leading the Southern League at the time. Uh, he's coming out of college himself, uh, two years removed from that now. And, you know, so getting the, the push to triple A, if, if he continues to flounder at, at Durham, that's fine. Let him be a f- pitcher full-time. I, I think they're not going to want to make that decision until two months from now, maybe. Um, but who knows? Maybe McKay, the pitcher, takes off at Durham the way he did at Montgomery. And we're looking for another challenge for him. And the Rays, the way they are contending this year, are going to need all the help they can get. 
Um, they're not going to let an elite starting pitcher just kind of sit there at Durham because they want him to maybe hit three times a week. Um, but, you know, off to a good start for him. Uh, going to continue to watch him and, and see how his package of pitches, which may, mostly was above average, nothing maybe truly plus, but he had good control. Uh, see what that can do against AAA hitters and, and with the AAA ball now that he's pitching with that for the first time. So both those categories, uh, both those conversations, I should say, strike one for this week's episode. Uh, strike two, the Major League Baseball first-year player draft is flying uh, close. That didn't even make sense. But it's coming up is what I meant. And uh, it will be, of course, on MLB Network. And uh, Sam Dykstra will be there as well. Uh, this is a class that has been pretty well headlined throughout um, the the lead up to this. I mean, even dating back to the end of last year by Adley Rutschman, who is the, the catching prospect from Oregon State University. Um, he seems like he's been the clear-cut number one pretty much the entire year. Uh, starts, by the way, does the draft on June 3rd. But beyond that, um, just some looks at who else could be names uh, that jump out on either day one or, or other guys that you like this year, Sam. Yeah, so before we get into that real quick, let me just run through um, the first round of the draft, the first couple of picks. The Orioles have the first overall selection, worst team in baseball last year. That's what happens in the current setup. Uh, Royals at number two, White Sox at three, Marlins at four, Tigers at five, Padres at six, Reds at seven, Rangers at eight, the Braves at nine, which they get because they did not sign Carter Stewart last year. So they moved, they got, they took him, I think, with the eighth pick, they moved to the ninth pick and the Giants round out the top 10. Um, so that's the top 10 of the draft. These are guys, these are organizations that are going to be competing for the cream of the crop, trying to do the calculus of, okay, how do these guys fit into our signing bonus pools? How much were you going to sign for? How much risk do we want to take on? But while we're talking about bonus pools, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, who I did not mention there, their first pick is at number 16. They actually have the largest bonus pool at $16 million. Um, that's almost, or that's more than $2 million more than what the Orioles have. This The Orioles have the second largest pool at $13.8 million. A big reason for that is the D-backs own seven of the first 75 selections this year. So they're going to be big players in the ways the, the Royals and the Rays were last year. Uh, the Royals, you know, Picked up a lot of starting pitching. I did a story today, realized five of their first or all five of their first picks were college pitchers. They really strengthened that portion of their farm system last year because of their large pool. Uh, the Rays, when Matthew Libertor slipped, they were able to pick him up, um, sign him. Shane McClanahan slipped. They pick him up. Um, you know, this is a chance for the Arizona Diamondbacks to add some real depth here. Or if guys start slipping, they can take chances and say, hey, we can sign you above slot even if you do fall to the middle of the first round because we have all this other money backed up here. Maybe you take a senior sign later, sign that guy for like 50000 You use all the rest of that money on somebody you took at the top of the draft. So Arizona is the system I'm going to be watching the most heavily outside of what the Orioles do here with the number one pick. Uh, you mentioned Adley Rushman. Seems like the way everybody's talking about this, I don't know if this is pre-draft type. I've watched a little bit of him. He is a really, really good hitter. He's a really good defender behind the plate at catcher. Seems like he could be a generational talent in that way. Uh, people haven't talked about a catcher like this since maybe Buster Posey. Um, so to see Rushman do this is really interesting going into his draft year. Everybody agrees he's the, the top overall draft pick. 
but it's the Orioles who are selecting. And if you know the Orioles these days, they have a new front office regime in there, which came from the Astros. Uh, the Astros rebuilt a lot through the draft. Uh, they had a similar situation like this a couple of years back. I think it was 2012 with Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton. Uh, Byron Buxton was the top overall draft prospect going into that year. Uh, the Astros decide not to take Buxton. They take Carlos Correa because he would sign for a little bit more below slot. They use that to go off and get Ryu Ruiz and Lance McCullers. Carlos Correa helps them win a World Series. Lance McCullers helps them win a World Series. Does that regime now in Baltimore, Michael Elias being one of them, um, you know, it's not the full full organization, but it's a lot of the pieces that made those decisions. Do they go for something similar here? Um, it seems like reading the tea leaves, it's, it's going to be Rushman. You know, when you're the Baltimore Orioles, you don't want to overthink it. Rushman could help them out very quickly. Um, ticks a lot of boxes, could become the shining gem of that system that even though they're in rebuild, still isn't quite there to being a primo system in the game. Um, but, you know, if they can find some deal there, with some of the other guys, uh, maybe they let Rushman go, and that's when things kind of get interesting. Because it seems like the Royals would take Bobby Witt Jr. at number two, uh, shortstop out of Texas, uh, out of a Texas high school. And he, Bobby Witt Jr. himself, is one of the better prospects we've seen in the game uh, in, a, in a couple of years. Um, he could have plus power. You know, from the shortstop position, which would be really interesting. He is already a plus runner. He's a really gifted uh, defender as well. Uh, he would do well to anywhere he goes. He's going to become one of the best prospects in that system. He would definitely do that for the Royals. Seems like they're going to take him at two. So maybe Rushman would slip even past the top two. We'll have to see. The one guy I'm going to be keeping my eye on the most out of those top two or beyond those top two rather is Andrew Vaughn out of California. Um, this is somebody who's already won a golden spikes award. Uh, and that's before he got to his junior year. He, he's all around maybe the best hitter in this draft. He's got a plus hit tool. He's got a plus power tool could even add some more power there as he moves on to the, the pro game. Um, but he's a right-handed hitting right-handed throwing first baseman. And those are extremely rare nowadays. It's really tough to fit those guys in, into your lineup. And he's only going to be first base. I don't think you – know, I've heard some stories about him moving around, trying to show a little bit of versatility. But this is a guy who's well below average run tool. Um, the only way he's going to make it to the majors is, I think, as a first baseman. So, you know, who's willing to t take the risk on that? Uh, you know, do the Orioles jump at him and add his bat to the mix? Uh, do they choose somebody more well-rounded in Rushman? Um, you know, as interesting as these top two talents are, it still doesn't seem like anything is settled quite yet, which is going to make Monday all the more interesting. And, you know, beyond the teams we've mentioned, the White Sox are always looking to rebuild. They still need to add a little bit of talent to their system. The Marlins definitely can't miss on this draft. I hate saying that, but... Uh, if they're going to make this rebuild work, they really need to take somebody quality at number four. I think they would love to have Vaughn. I don't have any inside info on that, but I think they would love to have somebody like Vaughn fall to them at four because then that's somebody that they can build around and that's somebody they can dream on very quickly making the major leagues. Um, but yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on all of this going into Monday night. I think Kelsey Hennigan 
uh, our coworker is going to be joining with me. She's going to be doing a lot of social content from the room in Secaucus. Uh, so it should be a lot of fun. Make sure to follow along with our constantly updating recap of the draft. And next week we'll have some interviews with some of the draft picks uh, that were there in the room uh, and at the, the draft luncheon beforehand coming to the podcast and to the site. Um, there is a prospect who is currently ranked the 114th uh, on the top 200 draft prospects from MLB.com. And his name is Thomas Dillard, which uh, could be shortened to Tom Dillard. And our guest on this week's episode of the show before the show is Tim Dillard. So everything is connected. Um, I don't think they're related, but it's uh, something to think about. Although uh, Tim's dad, Steve Dillard, did go to Ole Miss uh, for college. So possibility that's where thomas dillard goes as well so thomas come on the show so from that we'll pivot to strike three which is a review of last year's draft class we're a, a year removed or just about from the 2018 major league baseball first year player draft we just talked about a guy who was taken in that draft and jared kelenic who's been bumped up to class a advanced um sam when you look back on 2018 uh reviewing some of the things that you thought then and you think now what stands out most you there yeah so um just looking back on it, you know, we talked with Rushman about who was the kind of tacked on number one prospect going into the draft. And Casey Mize was that last year. And to see him follow through uh, this year be- between Class A Advanced Lakeland, now with Double A Erie, hopefully pretty soon with Triple A Toledo and eventually Detroit, uh, has been really, really something special. And I, th- I would hope that the O's can kind of take from that what the Tigers did with that top overall pick and, and not overthink it, take the guy who seems most tooled up, most ready uh, to move quickly, has proven himself uh, time and time off. So, yeah, my continuing to be the number one prospect from last year's draft has been just really cool to, to follow through on. Um, but what's more surprising to me and what's more fun to me, I think, is – you know, looking outside the, the first round and, and finding the guys who right now, even just 12 months later, we're already thinking about as, you know, not maybe top 100 talents quite yet, but somebody we have to follow day in and day out. And one of those is Jaron Duran uh, of the Boston Red Sox organization. They got him in the seventh round coming out of Long Beach State last year, and he might already be the steal of the draft. Uh, he leads the minors with a 403 average over 204 plate appearances. So this isn't a small sample. And he's he's playing at Class A Vance Salem. So this isn't you know a, a situation where it's a college guy doing well against Class A, which we have tons of examples of that. You know, he's about where he should be. And he is the only minor leaguer right now w- with an average above 400. I think the closest guy to him at the start of today was Xavier Edwards at 377, which is very good, but it's, you know, 26 points of difference between Jaron Duran and everybody else. Um, the thing that always stood out to him or stood stood out about him, uh, was his plus plus speed. That's definitely helped him out this year. Um, you know, he's got a 504 batting average against balls in play, uh, or batting average on balls in play. That's not sustainable whatsoever, but it does speak, again, to that speed. He's got mostly a line drive approach right now, uh, a good amount of ground balls as well. Um, So he's going to have to beat out balls to get hits, and that's what he's been doing. Uh, It's going to, you know, he's mostly gap to gap, not a ton of power. um, But again, with that plus speed, he's played all three outfield positions. 
And, you know, he's somebody who we have to watch now almost every night to see how long will he keep 400 for last year. We had the 400 chase with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Duran is the only hope we have right now. Doubt that's going to last very long, of course, as that BABIP kind of normalizes. But how long can you keep this going? We're definitely going to have to keep an, an eye on that. Uh, Xavier Edwards technically lasted out, outside the, the first round last year. He was actually the last person in the room to hear their name called. Um, so it was really neat when he did get picked because some of the, those guys who were there with him and you know some of the family members all saw him play on Team USA. So it was like local Jersey kid got picked. The room just erupted because they were all so happy for him. Uh, but he got taken 38th overall last year. Like I mentioned, he's been hitting 377 through 43 games. He's walked more times than he struck out, 19 walks, 16 strikeouts, uh, through 190 plate appearances. He's also got some good wheels. He has 14 stolen bases. Uh, it just seems like a prototypical leadoff man. Very little power to to ha- you know, to show or to speak of right now but when i talked to him a couple weeks ago he said listen i'm going to take my hits however they give them if they want to shift on me i will lay down a bunt and beat out the bunt if they want to move a certain way i'm going to try to hit the other way and get through however i can and to see that strategy play out this well for him has been really neat they've played him both at shortstop and second base mostly because that fort wayne roster is pretty well loaded with middle infielders um i don't think there's much of a doubt he could stick to short if he needed to but also he's in the organization with fernando tatis jr so uh we'll have to see how that plays out as he continues to get closer but those are two guys i'm keeping my eye on from outside the the first round right now uh in terms of first round guys we already mentioned jared kalenic i think is is really helping his case i think nick madrigal a year later um you know, Edwards, we talk about as being super good with the hit tool, um, but very little power. Magical is supposed to be even better with the hit tool with absolutely no power. And again, some good speed and, and ability to stick up the middle. Um, but his hit tool quite hasn't been there at uh, Class A Advanced Winston-Salem. And I think that's hurt his stock. If he's not going to hit well above 300, his value goes down pretty quickly. Um, so he hasn't done that. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez and the Orioles organization has pitched extremely well at Class A Delmarva, another Texas product, um, you know, who continues to post zeros. I think he had his first seven inning outing of the year the other day. Um, you know, really, really impressive stuff for him. And again, in an organization that needs pop up guys to happen. So getting him with the 11th overall pick and making him into one of the best right-handed pitching prospects in the game is really promising for the Orioles. Um, only been 12 months, obviously. We're going to be following a lot of these guys for a long time to come, but really cool to see just 12 months later how our opinions have changed. And in the case of Mize and some others, you know how our opinions on draft day last year have actually held up incredibly well uh, one year later. We're just that good. You know, what can we say? Um, that's three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Coming up, we're going to go to the Texas Rangers system and AAA Nashville, where we find one of the uh, the modern-day cult heroes of minor league baseball. Tim Dillard joins the show next. The Texas Rangers organization is where we find this week's guest for the show before the show from MILB.com. And there is right-handed pitcher Tim Dillard, who is just setting a slew of records for the Nashville Sounds at the AAA level and uh, also maybe losing his hearing by playing his, with his kids in the pool this week. Uh, Tim, welcome to the show, man. What's going on? How are you? Aside from the hearing thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> oh, it's just water in the ear. I guess it's worth it. Playing with my kids, it's cool. <laughs> it's a good memory to have, at least, if you never hear again. It's, it's you know, it's a positive. Yeah. Is <laughs> it, though? Up. Man, sacrifice. Stop well, being a dad. Let's talk about uh, the last couple of weeks alone have been pretty cool for you uh, to get a chance to go back to a place where you spent some time uh, while in the Milwaukee Brewers organization. Now you're back there as a member of the Texas Rangers with AAA Nashville. Uh, You already had the wins record for that franchise. As of the 27th of May, you set the franchise strikeout record. Um, Nashville, I would think, has got to be a pretty special place for you. What have the last uh, couple of weeks been like, you know, kind of taking in the, the scope of your career? Um, you know, everybody goes out with a, you know, idea of what their career is going to be. And, uh, and, and it rarely works out that way. And I don't know if I could go back, I would probably change some things, but I'm proud of my career. I've been with, this is my part of my ninth season. And, uh, I just broke the strikeouts record. Yeah. But the guy that held it before me, Jamie Worley, he did it in three years. Took me parts of nine. (laughs) So. Hey man, a record's a record's a record. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, uh, but it's good. This is home. I, my wife and I, uh, we started living here after my first season in AAA in 2007. Um, so this is home. Like I just left home, played with my kids, and drove to the field and got your text and said, "Hey, let's chat." Well, when you look back, uh, this is a career that dates back. Drafted uh, in 03, or in 02, rather, and debuted in 03. Um, You've made almost 500 career appearances in the minor leagues, almost 75 in the major leagues. And uh, at this stage, I mean, when you look back at the fact that you've been playing professional baseball uh, for over a decade and a half now, you're a 34th round pick. Like, there are not a whole lot of guys from the 34th round that make it five years, much less 15 years. (laughs) What? How does that, if you could go back and talk to you know 19 20 year old tim do you think that there was any way that you would have ever believed that this would have turned into what it's turned into for you uh definitely not you know because everybody has that goal if if you're getting into pro ball i mean everyone has the same goal they want 10 years in the show and so you build up this idea that if you don't get that then you're you're a failure um but that's just simply not the case i mean if i told my wife that you know hey sorry but the last (laughs) 15 years of our lives has been a total waste. You know, it's a, <laughs> I'm not going to do that because, you know, the experiences I've had and the people I've met and the places I've gone, I mean, it's, it's hard to put a price on that. It's hard to put, um, it's hard to put into words really because it is a lifestyle and you're doing it together. And so, I mean, everyone's path is different. Everyone's is unique and mine just happens to be, <laughs> you know, over 15 years in the minor league. So I don't know. I wouldn't, I would change some things for sure, but if I could go back and talk to myself, I would just say, hey, man, enjoy the ride because I felt like I was always trying to get somewhere and at at the expense of the moment. So now that I've felt like I thought I'd be retiring in the last, I don't know, every year for the last seven years, um, it gets sweeter. I don't know when I'm going to play again. So I just, every time I'm out there, it's it's as sweet as it can be. It's that uh, that everlasting philosophical question of everybody thinks that once they get to a destination is when they're going to be happy, but it's really like the trip to the destination. That's the thing you have to be able to take sure. enjoyment from. And that's not easy when you're a, a pro ball player and you're riding buses around and you're you're slogging through the grind <laughs> of the minor leagues. Um, when, when you got done with the Brewers organization at the end of last year, uh, you elect yeah. the agency in November, and there's no guarantee for anybody who goes into the the free agency period that you're going to find a destination uh and that somebody's going to 
decide, all right, this is a, a guy that we want as a member of our organization, regardless of your age or what you've accomplished. That's never a guarantee. When Texas called you, when they made contact and said, we want to make this a, a deal, what was that process like for you? And especially after being with the Brewers for so long, to go to a different system, what did that feel like? Uh, strange. <laughs> um, I actually, yeah, I was, I was okay. You know, I, I was trying to get with the Brewers back again, and I thought, you know, maybe they had a chance at getting their AAA in Nashville, and thought, hey, I could, you know, one more time in the sun, maybe I can, you know, play at home and live the dream. Uh, the AAA dream is to, you know, have a job and have a job where you live, and so that was kind of what I was hoping for. Brewers contacted me, said, man, we're not in Nashville, probably not going to sign you back. And so I thought I was done. You know, I was at home just thinking, all right, what's next? Maybe, maybe I'll find something else to do because money's fun. Need some of that. And uh, the Rangers called. They said, hey, we got Nashville and we want you to be there. And I didn't think it was really them. I thought somebody was playing a prank on me, but they convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> and they told me when they were going to sign me, and they did. They told me they're going to bring me to big league camp, and they did. And they told me how they were going to put me in Nashville, and they did. So, I, I mean, it, it, it's it's – a guy in my position shouldn't be playing this long, shouldn't be having opportunities like this. And so because of all the knowledge that I have in baseball, it is a miracle. It's a miracle. <laughs> this uh, <laughs> this stage of your career, being a guy who uh, has so much baseball experience at, at every professional level under your belt, how now at, at 35 do you get to communicate with younger guys, guys who come up? I would imagine you're a sounding board for a lot of those guys who are kind of wondering, you know, what it's going to be like at the major league level or, or the things to do to be successful at AAA. Uh, how has that manifested itself in your career when you've gotten to this stage of being a, a veteran guy? Yeah, I mean, that's just it. The, the conversations we have in the pen – you know, my conversation has changed over the years and it's not so much like wondering what's going on as opposed to how to deal with what's going on. Um, you know, it, baseball is easy in the sense that they tell, you know, tell you where to go, when to be there, what to wear, you know, how to pitch or how to play or how to swing and, you know, all that kind of stuff, like all that, you know, they, and you'll get a chance to really express yourself and to think outside the box. And so it's, it's sometimes it's hard for players to actually, uh, deal with that, man, I don't really have a lot of control in this game. You can only control a very, you know, few things. And that, that a lot of times you, you want to feel like you're in control of your own destiny and all that. But it's how do you deal with that realizing, man, maybe I'm not that important and maybe I don't really have a grip on what's going on. And so for me, it's just, you know, I wouldn't say it's a counseling session, but it's just a, hey, man, if I can save you some mental anguish, you know, save you a few months of, you know, figuring out what you're doing with your life, kind of thing that's what I want to be there for because you know hey if you don't have problems and the minor leagues is easy for you and you go to the big leagues and big leagues is easy that's awesome Uh, but it's not really realistic and I don't know we talk about life stuff just because you know most of them don't have three kids (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) and been been doing it this long so it's just tips and tricks the Pacific Coast League probably the hardest league there is um, just travel wise and, and the grind of the season so it's just tips and tricks, how to beat the system, you know, how to, how to get through it, what your mindset could be, what it shouldn't be. And, uh, and we're all just trying to, you know, survive. That's what that's, we're all in it together. 
you're kind of a, an anomaly in the minor league side in the sense that you talk about having a, a family and having kids and all that. And that's not necessarily the anomaly, but the fact that you get to live in a place where you're also playing now has got to be really yeah. cool uh, that you call Nashville home and your family's there. How do you, how do you juggle that once you get in season? It's, you know, you talk about the PCL travel schedule and all that type of stuff, but at the same yep. time, you got a chance to, to play with your kids today. What, what is that lifestyle <laughs> like, you know, now that you uh, are in a place that you can kind of set down some roots, um, it's not a, a traditional office job, but at least it's it's better than you know being in in Helena or somewhere like that with your family across the country. Yeah, I, I mean, any any time you can steal a chance uh, to be with your family, you should. And I've been in Colorado Springs the last four years, which is you know one of the further away clubs. And so um, I would only see my family when we were here in Nashville for eight days throughout the season, and then when they came out for summer uh, when school was out June and July. Uh, so being here now is pretty awesome. Uh, we, we had Jose Altuve came through rehabbing uh, for the Astros just the other day, and that's my son's favorite player. It's actually not me. <laughs> my son's favorite player. It's not me. Uh, <laughs> maybe that'll change, but he plays second base, and he just he's always, I mean, for the last three or four years, like Altuve's his guy. And so um, we didn't get a chance to actually meet him, but um, Jose actually uh, signed a ball for him. So I thought that was really neat. So that's, that's awesome. the kind of stuff you get to share. My dad was a player and a coach, but uh, when I was born, he was just getting into coaching. And so I grew up in the clubhouse, and I'd watch him manage a team and things like that. But um, for my kids to see me you know, pitch uh, and play with, with some of these people that they were like, wow, that's Jose Altuve out there. That guy's like a three-time batting champion. And, uh, you know, he goes up to, like, <laughs> the waist of my dad as he's pitching. You know, like, that's <laughs> Like the worlds are colliding, and they're starting to see that this is kind of a rare thing. I am an anomaly in a way. I usually say unicorn or Sasquatch, but yeah, <laughs> that's a better. It's a much more fun way to describe it than my yeah. terminology. Um, this season, I, we got to ask you about the the AAA level this year and the offensive yeah. numbers and, and all that type of stuff. There's so much discussion that's gone into it. Minor leagues at the AAA level using the same baseballs as the major leagues are, and home runs have yeah. skyrocketed, and uh, and runs are up, and all that type of stuff. What are your impressions being a guy who's been in the coast league uh for the last few seasons and and now seeing what it's like this year how do you evaluate what's your read on everything uh the, the balls do make a difference and as a pitcher i think a lot of times pitchers are at a disadvantage when in the pacific coast league you're using one ball and then you get called up and suddenly your pitches aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing and I said it years ago. I was like, why don't we use the big league baseball? Because that's going to help pitchers along the way. Now, the flip side of that is it's really helping the offensive numbers of uh, the hitters, of course. Um, but I, I think in the long run, it's the right decision. But there is a difference. I think home runs, I saw a tweet when I had Twitter. I got suspended on Twitter. So, <laughs> oh, we'll so talk about that. Before I got suspended on Twitter. <laughs> so, yeah, before that, I saw a tweet where it was like, you know, almost doubled the home runs for the first month of the minor league season throughout triple A. Um, there's a reason for that it's because the big league balls, they just, they get hit harder and they travel further. But the idea is that pitchers now get to throw with that ball day in and day out, learn how to face hitters and get hitters out. I think you're going to see a wave the next couple of years of guys going to the big leagues and being able to compete right away. Maybe at times rather back in my day, if I went up there and didn't produce, I was sent down right away and then hopefully I'd get it together and they'd bring me back, I think people are going to figure it out faster. So in the long run, it's going to be a good thing, but goodness gracious, I mean, the balls are flying out of this place. 
It's uh, the the old Chicks Dig the Long Ball commercial from the 90s for uh, Tom yeah. Glavin. And, what was that, Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox who were in that commercial? It's like now, so. it's, it now it's just everywhere. Yeah, it might have been John Smoltz. But we'll, we'll pivot away from, uh, from the baseball-related stuff, and we'll talk about uh, Tim Diller, the legend, uh, the social media maven who you are. First things first, um, I think most people have, have probably gotten to know you on social media the last few years for the videos that you make, the, the movie parodies and the original stuff yeah. that you make from clubhouses and all that type of stuff. <laughs> Tell me about how that got started, because that doesn't just seem like something funny that you kind of came up with riding around in rookie ball back in the day. Like, were you always a, a big movie guy? Is this kind of something that, as a kid, you were you were interested in and it sort of carried it along as a hobby? How did this whole thing develop for you? Yeah, I, I you know, I got two older brothers, and one of the funnest things that we ever did was when we hooked up the giant VCR or, like, the giant VHS camcorder to the VCR so you could, like, see yourself. <laughs> on the camera like that was the coolest thing it's, and it didn't go as far as if you could tether it you know to the tv so you know a couple like three feet or whatever but you you know we would make these videos for our grandparents and dress up like different characters and sing songs and things like that and um i don't know i i guess i just never really wanted to grow out of it but like you said i didn't do it early on in rookie ball and stuff because they didn't have smartphones <laughs> right <laughs> i had a phone card Guys are like, what are you talking about? Like, I had a phone card. That's the only way I could call my parents when I first signed. You know, we didn't have cell phones, kid me. But to see the technology go from, you know, and, and be where it is now, um, in 2015, a buddy of mine was just like, hey, man, you should try the Dub Smash app if you like making videos. And so that, that kind of took off from there because you can do everything on your phone and you always have your phone. And I'd played 10 years of cards in the clubhouse, card games, board games, um, you know, cribbage all that kind of stuff. So this is just a new way of interacting with teammates and trying to, you know, trying to have some fun because it really is. It really is actually more fun to actually make these videos than to watch them. <laughs> what is the the thing that you're proudest of having created in your minor league time? There's a, a video up and we're going to talk oh. about the Twitter thing, but there's a great one up on your Instagram right now about your reaction to the Twitter thing that we'll discuss in a moment. <laughs> but there's there's a lot of them like the 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 things you've done dubbing over old movie scenes uh with your teammates yeah. like what are what are you proudest of um i don't know we did one we did uh semi-pro one of will ferrell's basketball so one where he's a basketball player and they, we did this whole huddle and uh we just gotten a new guy in a guy that i'd known my whole career tom wilhelmson we got him and so he just shows up, we're in New Orleans, and I got guys to make it look like we were in an 80s basketball team or 70s basketball team. So, like, everyone's got their pants hiked up, we got our sleeves rolled up, we, some of us have wigs on, we have headbands, and we do this whole one-minute scene, and there was probably eight people involved, because I think there were six people in the huddle, and then we had one guy was a referee, and one guy had to do the camera. So... The way it came together was we're doing costumes. Guys that have never been in videos that, you know, didn't really want to be in any videos were suddenly making referee outfits and, uh, you know, and, and helping with, like, wardrobe. So, it, I mean, it ended up probably involving 10 or 12 people. And it took probably, like, seven or eight takes. I don't even know if it was that funny or not, but it was <laughs> the feeling of accomplishment after that video was pretty astounding because everybody had different little parts and facial expressions and, um, I don't know. It was pretty. It was it was pretty fun, and it, on, even though it was on the small scale, I felt like it was a lot behind it. So that was pr that's pr I was proud of that one. 
what do you think it's it probably, does? Twitter to... took it down, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think it does to kind of build bridges between your teammates? Because we see, I think one of the coolest things about the stuff that you do is you get guys from every walk of life, whoever's in your clubhouse, you try to get them in, whether it's Latin American players or other foreign guys or, or the American guys, college kids, high school yeah. kids. Everybody gets a chance to be part of these. What do you think that does in a clubhouse? Because not a whole lot of, you know, it's like you and Cody Decker do fun stuff like that. There's not, it's not like every team gets one of these guys who's bringing everybody in to have all these creative ventures. What has that done throughout your career? Well, I, I mean, I, what I find is when guys are being really honest about, you know, the process and everything, it lets them just forget about the anxiety and stresses of, of being on the field because it's a hard game. And, you know, anytime you have these moments where you can kind of just concentrate on something else, um, it's, it's very freeing. And that's what I found. Uh, actually, a guy was in a video the other day. Uh, well, actually, it's been about a month. And, um, you know, just mentally, he's been having a hard time, like, you know, just dealing with the next level of being in AAA and being away from home and traveling. And he told me, he was like, dude, that's the funnest thing I've done in three months is just being in this one-minute video. And he goes, man, I just feel like this burden's been lifted. And that's what it is. We're really just trying to distract ourselves long enough because this game consumes you. Everywhere you turn is baseball. And – what you do is if you do well one night, you know, you, you come back the next day like wanting to do it well the next day. But then sometimes you fail, and then you think about it all night. You don't rest. You know, you wake up the next day thinking about it, and that's, that's it. It's just a circle. Uh, so anytime you can alleviate yourself of that anxiety and that pressure, I think by all means you should. And the videos are just my way of, you know, hopefully that contributes. <laughs> Who, uh, among teammates that you've had, who would have the brightest future in acting if they gave it a shot? Um, Chase Darno, probably. Okay. I think he's already he's already like a singer or something. I think he's got his own band. Um, I don't think I've heard his music, but I think he has a band. <laughs> he's one of those dudes but who can he, just do everything? Yeah, like he had a small part in spring training. I just need him for like five seconds. And, um, I mean, just his reactions and stuff and being able to – you know, where he looks, how, how the mouth, you know, mouths the words, folding the arms, all that kind of stuff. Like, he, he's probably had an acting class. I'm going to go ahead and say he's had one. I don't know for sure, but I've, I'm saying he's had more than one acting class. Okay, well now we got to figure that out. We're going to put all of our all of our minor league resources on figuring out what Chase Darno's yeah. acting chops actually are. Um, okay, now we'll, we'll get to it. Earlier this month, for some reason – the the cesspool of trash that is twitter.com decided that of all of its problems tim yeah. dillard's account should be suspended of everything that goes on on twitter tim dillard <laughs> is the one who should be suspended for some reason and uh that suspension is still going on for for some yeah. some campaign um what is the deal with that what's going on minor league baseball players across the the country got behind the hashtag free dilly and uh which is a nice a nice movie tip of the cap um what what is the what is the deal here what's going on oh i mean your guess is as good as mine i have no idea they, so they don't uh, notify you at all like you just got an email or something that said you're suspended no no email nothing like so I, somebody texted me and said we we're in oklahoma city and i walked into the clubhouse and you don't get service till you connect to the wi-fi but you know, I've been around the league so long, I just, my phone automatically connects when I get in the clubhouse. <laughs> I know all the passwords. And uh, <laughs> so I walk in there, and I'm, all of a sudden I get a text message, and, and uh, there's a buddy of mine that, I, I, I think he's with the Angels now, but he's like, dude, you just blocked me on Twitter. 
And I was like, I'm pretty sure I did not because I don't even know how to block somebody on Twitter. <laughs> and then somebody else texted me and goes, dude, your account is, is uh, suspended on Twitter. So I looked it up, and sure enough, the first thing that pops up is like, congratulations, you've been suspended for obscene <laughs> behavior. I really hope it said and congratulations. I, yeah, yeah. I was just like, what is what? I was like, I don't know what's going on here. And so I didn't know what to do. So they said they had a little link, and you click it, and basically it just sends an email to Twitter support. And so I just filled out the thing of like, you know, my name or whatever. And, and they were like, you know, here's 20 characters to try to plead your case. And I was like, don't know what I did. And, you know, that was it. And they sent me back a case number that says your, your account's being reviewed. And so that was, that was, that was the end of the story. That's so all I got. it's in some type of review service we know right now. There, there's something. Well, I mean, I have absolutely zero faith in anything that goes on at the Twitter offices. That something oh, proper sure, yeah. is going to be done. But at least they got in touch with you to say we're looking into it. No, I mean all they <laughs> communicate by email. And I'm pretty just sure that's automated email. Okay. Yeah, automated email. Like I sent it, and it was like, please don't reply to this. This is an automated email. Uh, we're reviewing your case number nine billion seven eight whatever. So I was like, okay, that's it. And didn't think much of it. And I mean, I still don't. I, I like Twitter. It's easier than all the other platforms because you could do text and Twitter polls. Oh, I miss the Twitter polls. <laughs> but, you know, people, somebody asked me the other day, like, what have you done since you've, you know, lost Twitter? And I was like, oh, just different things. I've read a couple books, um, <laughs> learned two of my kids' middle names, um, you know, just got in touch with nature. <laughs> you've enjoyed life yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have this new sense of no. I I don't know. I I can't do anything about it. So I'm really not even worried about it. Well, the good news is where uh, where Jack, whatever his last name is, with that weird goatee and, and strange face, uh, where he is losing out now. Uh, the brass at Instagram is benefiting because uh, Tim's over there as well at Dim Tillard, and he's posting uh, Twitter suspension uh, videos. So you can go there. The first one is hysterical, which is just Tim crying in random places in the clubhouse, trying to shave his beard, all that type of stuff. So you can find Tim on Instagram. Um, you know, hopefully it gets uh, created or corrected sooner rather than later. I have, again, zero faith in those people at Twitter. But uh, yeah. we're all behind you, and we're all behind hashtag free Dilly. Yeah, I don't think it – yeah, I appreciate it. No, I don't think – it's uh, on my end, I just know I didn't do anything obscene. I didn't offend anybody. I wasn't bothering anybody. So, yeah, if, if it's permanent suspension, I'm okay with that because I, I didn't do anything wrong, and I'm okay with that. So – I don't know. I think it's, I think I'm just going to start living my life on Instagram. Do the best I can. Let me ask you this before we get you <laughs> out of here: If there is one okay. hitter that you have faced who you have had like maybe outlandishly good fortune against, who like made Ooh. something up and reported you to Twitter, who would that be most likely to be? Maybe it's just some <laughs> dude that you struck out like 18 times in 21 at bats. <laughs> you know who it'd be? It'd be Taylor Davis for the Cubs. <laughs> okay. Patrick. Okay. That guy. Because he, I didn't know this, but I've played against him for the last, like, five years. And uh, a couple of years ago, he was like, dude, do you know that I've never gotten on base against you? And I was like, well, you're the one guy that hasn't got on base off of me. He's like, no, I'm being serious. And so what was really funny is after he said that, was like the first game of the series. So then later, a couple of days later, I'm facing him. And, I mean, it is pouring down rain. It's in Iowa. It's freezing early in the year. I mean, there's, like, ice forming in my beard. <laughs> and the, I'm slipping all over the mound. I got, I'm giving up hits. I'm hitting people. I got two outs. He comes up to the plate. And all I could think was, this is going to be the time where he does get a hit. And uh, I ended up getting them to pop it up to the infield. <laughs> 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 Even though all 
other eight people in the lineup got on base off me. He didn't. And so even to this day, um, I got him out earlier this year. So, yeah. So he's probably he probably did report me. Man. Well, now we know. Now we know. And uh, if there, there are multiple things. we And Taylor Davis, by the way, is somebody else who got uh, a lot of notoriety oh, yeah, last yeah. year with his, his video yeah, persona his where he would, find, oh, he would find the ballpark cams wherever they were in <laughs> Iowa and would just, like, make sweet eye contact loving with them. So maybe yeah. that's why. And he's another lower-round guy, 49th-round pick from 2008, who's still really? playing oh, wow. pro ball. Maybe this is it. Maybe we found yeah. it. Yeah, okay, that's I, it. I don't know. I mean, he's definitely one of those guys. Yeah, he's definitely, you know, he he sees the game for what it is. Like, people think, oh, you can't have fun because it takes away from you playing hard, Uh, which I think is the opposite. I think if you can find a way to have fun while you're playing, I think it makes you a better player. And I think it just, the the infectious freedom. I mean, to be his teammate, I bet those guys are like, wow, this guy's just the same person every day. He has fun and plays hard. And that's really what everybody wants. That is pretty cool. And Taylor Davis, if you want to come on and, and defend yourself, we'll provide you that platform. We're all interested in equal time here, obviously. Uh, we don't want to throw yeah. out baseless <laughs> accusations. But as we've established, yeah, right. it appears that that he's the villain. Uh, Tim Dillard is on Instagram. <laughs> he is at Dim Tillard on Instagram. And you can join the movement, hashtag free Dilly. But beyond all that, uh, big congratulations, Tim, on the, the records with Nashville. And, and keep it rolling. Yeah, we'll see you in Texas sooner rather than later. And thanks a ton for the time today. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome in Benjamin Hill for this week's episode of the show before the show. A uh, bunch to talk about as we are we're fully into like finally diving into to promo names and jerseys and, and all that kind of stuff as we've gotten toward the time of the year where kids are getting out of school and the full promotional calendar is blowing up and Ben joins us. Hi, Ben. Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam. Um, sitting to my left, Sam is. Tyler is uh, in another state, another time sitting, zone. Sitting way left. Way left. Way, way to the left. <laughs> um, way it, to the left. Tyler Tyler Vaughn is far left. <laughs> <laughs> Not inaccurate. Um, does it feel like that to you, Ben, where it's obviously teams kind of hold a lot in reserve for April and even into May when they know that you know the weather can be dicey and kids aren't going to be out of school yet and the crowds probably aren't going to be as big as they are over the summer. Does it feel, and this is a conversation we've probably had before, but like the promo stuff really starts to get rolling toward the end of May? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we – Maybe not officially in terms of how you look at the, you know, in terms of how the seasons are actually, uh, you know, denoted on our, our on our calendars. But, you know, the summer officially really starts around uh, Memorial Day um, and school will be letting out soon and the weather's good. And, you know, all that's to say, you know, you're not going to throw out your big guns in terms of special guests at the ballpark in terms of uh, a lot of the real uh, significant uh, theme nights, uh, giveaway items. You know, we've seen some good stuff so far, but. You know, most of the time teams are going to keep their premier nights in their back pockets until, you know, around this time of year and certainly June, July and August, uh, you know, when people are more free and easy to go out to games, spend money, have better weather, uh, et cetera. So I think, you know, from here on out, we will see uh, an increased amount of uh, kind of premier promotions. And then, of course, uh, in just about two weeks, the short season league start as well. So uh, that brings uh, <laughs> Sam is psyched. That brings uh, <laughs> that brings you know, two full leagues. Another uh, what is that? Another uh, 12 there are uh, 20 teams into the or no well between four leagues 40 teams yeah uh into the orbit between uh rookie level and class a short season so yeah we are really uh, ramping it up promo wise but just you know baseball wise you know we're, we're entering the uh the uh peak season peak baseball season 
And uh, speaking about ramping it up in terms of promos, um, one thing you got to write about over the weekend uh, was the Rochester Hustlers, um, which you know came to be on Saturday. Uh, there was a 101-year hiatus between the Rochester Red Wings playing as the Rochester Hustlers. What can you tell us about what happened there? Yeah, well, you know, we talk about all sorts of, uh, you know, one-night rebrandings in minor league baseball. Um, the Hustlers is in the category that you may have heard this term before, uh, a faux-back, meaning that they are an identity that existed in the teams in Rochester's baseball history, but the uniforms the team wore when they suited up as the Hustlers is past Saturday were designed in the present day, if you can follow all that. Okay. Uh, our friend and colleague Josh Jackson uh, did a story fairly recently about a similar endeavor in Durham, the uh, tobacconists. Um, you know, Durham's did have a team called the tobacconists, uh, you know, way back turn of the century. Uh, but the team wore uniforms they just designed, uh, you know, for the pre- present day. So the hustlers throwback in Rochester, when you're looking at a minor league baseball market like Rochester, um, you know, you have such a rich history there. Rochester has had professional baseball dating back to 1877. Uh, last year, they did a faux back night where they played as the hot bitters, which was one of their teams in, you know, like 18... 18- 80, 1879, and 1880. So this year, they're like, let's look back at our history again and, and pick a different identity, and they went with the Hustlers. Uh, the Hustlers played in the Eastern League, not our current Eastern League, but uh, a league called the Eastern League, uh, 1909, 1910, 1911, and then uh, played in the International League uh, from 1912 through 1918. And interestingly, Rochester has had a team in the inter- International League ever since those 1912 Rochester Hustlers, every single season. And... Uh, and doing a little research, that is the longest uh, marriage of league and locale, you know, in all of minor league baseball. There's no other minor league market that's had a team in the same league consecutively uh, longer than Rochester in the International League since 1912. They turned their name, they changed their name to the Red Wings in 1928, and so that's a real long run as the Red Wings. But regardless, you're looking at a lot of baseball history between 1870. Seven uh, and 1928 in terms of uh, when they did for a time play in different leagues and have different names and blah, blah, blah. All of which is to say they were the Hustlers for a number of years. Um, eight, 1918 was the last season the Hustlers played. And, you know, they're, they Big John Ganzel was the team manager. Uh, he uh, co-owned a pool hall that had a dedicated room to talking baseball you know kind of the whole identity and the story of this team kind of fits like the stereotype you might have of baseball in the 1910s you know kind of rough and tumble gamblers a little boozy playing pool uh that kind of thing so they embraced this uh hustler's identity uh, gave it a pool hall kind of theme um had a kind of turn back the clock aspect to the evening itself. Uh, you know, the, the evening was preceded by a vintage baseball game. That's baseball two words because that's how it was back in the old days um, before it all became one word. Uh, front office members dressing in period attire. The, the um, PA announcer uh, standing on top of the dugout with a megaphone to announce the batters. And they had a lot more planned, but guess what? This game – got rained out in, <laughs> in the second inning. And so it, and then they con, uh, continued it the next day, uh, not as the Hustlers, but because they only had a couple innings as the Hustlers, even though they got some of their elements in and wore the uniforms for a bit of time and the weather was good for the vintage baseball game beforehand, uh, the Hustlers will make a return, uh, I believe, in July at some point. I'm sure the team is going to announce that soon um, and hopefully play a full nine innings of the Hustlers. Uh, but I think, you know, any team... 
that plays in a market with a rich history, I think it's a really fun way to, you know, do a cool promotion that really ties into your local history uh, by doing like a faux back like this, you know, looking back at your history and saying, you know, you know, what can we honor next? And, you know, I was talking to the general manager, Dan Mason, uh, general manager, and he's like, yeah, I think we'll keep doing this sort of thing. And he was mentioning other team names that Rochester had through the years. And one of them was the Bo Brummels. And I was just huh. like, what? So maybe someday they're going to have a faux back where they suit up as the Bo Brummels. You're going to have to explain yeah, that. Do we even know what that I don't is, know much but... about Bo Brummel, but I feel like wasn't he the original like foppish dandy? Is he like Bo Dandy fop? A very uh, sartorially uh, influential individual. Well, now I got to look him up. No, we have to look up, look into it. But George how there got to be a Brian. team in Rochester called the Bo Brummels? Uh, I don't know. That's amazing. He was uh, an iconic figure in Regency England, according to Wikipedia, and for many years, the arbiter of men's fashion. So, yeah, totally. Baseball crossover, man. Yeah, so there you go. I hope they I hope they do that. So anyway, I think Rochester does a great job with uh, these kind of promotions. I hope they suit up as the Bo Brummels in the, in the future. And uh, hustlers look like they're coming back uh, later this summer, hopefully for better weather. Ben, let's uh, continue the conversation uh, with a story on we you kind of alluded to this one last week. And uh, this story will run. We're recording this on Wednesday. It's up if you're listening to us on Thursday. Um, but Jake Eisenberg, who is uh, a radio voice of the Richmond Flying Squirrels, was formerly with an, another couple of minor league teams. Uh, you and he have. Uh, a similar uh, life path as of right now in, in your not just baseball careers, but in life. Tell us about this latest on the road story. Yeah, this will be my last proper feature from uh, the trip I took to uh, Fayetteville, Lynchburg, Richmond uh, earlier in the month. When I was in Richmond, I, I got I talked uh, you know, for quite a long time with Jake Eisenberg, currently the Flying Squirrels number two broadcaster. Um, and my angle with him is he has celiac disease. As many of you listening uh, to this show know, I've mentioned in the past, I have celiac disease. And I'm just, you know, inherently interested in someone uh, who's living the baseball lifestyle and a gluten-free lifestyle at the same time. So, uh, you know, it was 10 years ago that he got diagnosed. So he was kind of looking back at, like, this anniversary for him of 10 years since he was diagnosed. Um, and May is uh, Celiac Awareness Month. So I figured let's tie these things together. And I'm writing a story about him, you know, about his career path and, you know, some personal history on Jake, but also, you know, interweaving throughout the story, um, you know, what it's like to live in the world or to work in the world of baseball gluten-free. Because, you know, as you know, um, wheat, rye, wheat, rye, barley isn't gluten. Yeah, a lot of ballpark food is no good. If you're a broadcaster, um, you know, a lot of those press box meals are kind of hard to do. If you're traveling, you know, your options are limited. I know all these things firsthand. Um, so being awareness month, you know, you don't want to preach to anyone, but, you know, awareness, that's what it's about, making people more aware. So hopefully, you know, if you are not uh, gluten free yourself, you might understand, you know, some of the challenges people face or kind of understand what it is. I could go on a lot of rants, you know, when I tell people I have celiac disease. And instead of people asking me about what's that like, they just tell you what little they know about it, which is very <laughs> frustrating sometimes. Like, OK, great. But I have that disease. So, you know, it's really interesting about your, you know, brother's ex-girlfriend who went gluten free for two months. Thank you for letting me know. And thank you for assuming the symptoms I have. And thank you for talking vaguely of some conspiracy about genetic engineer or, you know, genetic modified foods. And maybe that's why it's happening. I don't know. But look, man, I got the disease. So I wrote the story. Jake Eisenberg, Richmond Flying Squirrels broadcaster, gluten-free broadcaster. And, you know, and he says, I quote him here, he's like, I don't, you know, I'm not looking to be known as, you know, the gluten-free broadcaster. It's not part of his, like, brand or identity. But, you know, we talked for a long time and, you know, it was, I don't want to quite say emotional, but 
I think he really enjoyed sort of opening it up and talking to another celiac just about what it's like to be in the world of baseball and, uh, you know, deal with the challenges of celiac disease. We both acknowledge it in the scheme of things. Things could be a lot worse. You know, it's not about being a poor us, but, um, you know, whenever you meet a like-minded uh, individual or someone who's going through the same things you are, you, you can't help but relate. And, uh, you know, Jake grew up in Port Washington in uh, Long Island, Long Island, New York, um, a big Mets fan. And Kevin Burkhart um, was then the uh, SMY roving on-field reporter for the Mets, and he has celiac disease. So it was interesting, you know, Jake was saying in the, in the wake of his diagnosis, he would go to uh, the Mets games, meet Kevin Burkhart. Kevin Burkhart would host celiac awareness nights at the ballpark uh, annually. And he was saying, how, you know, how that was inspirational to him as someone who wanted to work in that field to see someone like that who was able to do it. And, you know, I, you know, Jake is saying, you know, I, I'm not – I don't think I'm here to inspire necessarily, or I'm not so like full of myself to think that I'm going to be a huge inspiration. But I think it's an important point that the same way Kevin Burkhart, you know, inspires him, you know, getting these stories out there, you know, other people might, you know, who are going through that kind of thing can be like, all right, he's doing it. It'll be fine. We'll work it out. So I think it's always good to have examples and hopefully Jake can be uh, an example for others the same way uh, Kevin Burkhart was for him. That is a really cool story. That's up on the site right now, the latest on the road column. Uh, ben, what else is going on? We've got uh, the, the next trip coming up in a little bit, which we've um, discussed a little bit over the last couple of weeks. What else is coming up for you? Yeah, well, I think next week we'll really go into the details of my next trip. Um, that starts on June 12th, uh, Amarillo, Albuquerque, El Paso. Just uh, announced the designated eaters for that trip. Um, so that one's coming up. Um, Got some, still some odds and sods from the road, some designated eater posts from my last trip still to come. Uh, and, you know, I'll be kind of trying to dive into the world of promos over the next couple of weeks because, as we said, you know, things are really uh, starting to pop in that realm, too. Any that you can think of coming up here in the next couple of days that immediately stand out to you? Huh. Off the top of my head, that's a good question. Um, well, as we're speaking, I think the Rickwood Classic just ended. So that, uh, that, one, that one's on my mind right now as a, uh, as a bin for sure. And tonight, the Richmond Flying Squirrels, uh, the team for whom Jake Eisenberg uh, calls games for, uh, they're giving away a Patrick Henry uh, mm. bobble, bobblehead. So if you like your history, uh, a Patrick Henry bobblehead, courtesy of the Richmond Flying Squirrels, uh, tonight. So that will be done by if you're listening to this when this podcast comes out tomorrow. But I guess I'm, uh, you know, one day at a time. So I guess I was looking at my spreadsheet and those are some of today's promos yeah, no, that, that stood out. You know, you know, I stay in the present moment, Sam. Give me bobblehead or give me death. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter at Ben's Biz. And you can read the On the Road story right now at MILB.com. And uh, thanks, Ben. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. And the Ben's Biz page where, where you can see all my work has a new URL, even easier MILB.com slash Ben's Biz. That's it. Ah. All my work, you know, there's no longer the blog. You just want to see some Ben's Biz stuff. You're jonesing for some Ben's Biz content. MILB.com slash Ben's Biz. Thank you in advance for bookmarking it and checking it every day. Thank you. We have one foul ball we got to get to uh, before we wrap up this episode, and it is uh, breaking news from today. The Houston Astros top prospect, Forrest Whitley, is headed to the injured list at AAA Round Rock with shoulder fatigue. He will uh, reportedly rehab that injury at Astros camp in Florida. Um, the uh, right-hander, it's not been a good year. It hasn't been an easy year for Forrest Whitley as of yet. He's got a 12.21 ERA over 24 and a third uh, with the AAA Round Rock Express, and uh, 
this may be part of the reason for that if this is a, an issue that's been going on for a little while with Forrest Whitley but uh, last year he comes back from the the suspension and uh, combined in 23 outings he put up a 2.83 ERA at three different levels including a 1.84 mark at double a he makes uh oh wait nope 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 looking at his 2017s uh three two one Last year, he comes back uh, and had that shortened season, eight starts with double-A Corpus Christi, a 3.76 ERA. But this year's been rough, and uh, and now he's headed to the injured list, and that's tough news for the Astros. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you would hope maybe it has been kind of a shoulder issue, and that's to, to blame for some of these, uh, you know, Really, really tough outings. He gave up seven earned runs over two innings in his last start. Um, he's going back to Florida rehab, hopefully some time off and getting right. Uh, hopefully we get the force quickly back that made him the top pitching prospect in baseball coming into this year. Because when he's on, he's got one of the best pitching arsenals uh, in all of minor league baseball um, with the control to boot. So, uh, yeah, really unfortunate to see him go on, on the IL, but given the start to the season, it's probably best for all parties. And hopefully, you know, we're talking about him forcing his way to Houston uh, a little after the All-Star break, if, if all goes well in his rehab. So keeping an eye out for him. But, uh, yeah, Forrest Whitley uh, going to be out for at least a little bit of time. And uh, we'll wrap up this week's episode by telling you to watch MILB.TV. You can subscribe right now with short season leagues getting started uh, in just a short period of time. A lot of those games will be on MILB.TV as soon as those leagues get rolling along. And Sam, what are you watching this weekend? Yeah, so I have uh, my eye on one game this weekend. This is kind of late breaking news as well uh, for us recording the podcast by the time you guys hear this and won't be breaking for you anymore. But uh, Philly's 2017 first rounder, Adam Hazley has been promoted to triple a Lehigh Valley. Um, Hazley coming out of the university of Virginia was thought to be a pretty well-rounded outfielder, pretty good hitter, um, you know, has fallen out of the top 100 because he hasn't been as standout as potentially the industry may have liked um, in terms of many of his tools, but he has turned it on here in May at AA Reading. Uh, he hit 337 with a .410 on base percentage and a 584 slugging percentage. Uh, hit five home runs, had three steals in 24 games. The Phillies looked at that and said, "Okay, yeah, you're not getting challenged much anymore. We're going to move you on to AAA Lehigh Valley." So I'm going to keep my eye this weekend on uh, Lehigh Valley's games at Scranton Wilkesbury, particularly on Saturday at 4:05 Eastern. Um, Hazley will be going up against Randall Delgado, uh, who the Yankees signed uh, actually just this week, just a couple days ago, um, as kind of minor league depth. He is a major leaguer, obviously, uh, 271 games of major league experience on his resume. Uh, this will be Hazley's kind of welcome to AAA moment. Uh, hey, you're one step away from the majors. Okay, go out there and face a guy who was in the majors just last year. Probably have a few more of those by the time we get to Saturday, but I think Saturday could be a real good test for him and see how he is able to carry his recent form at Reading to uh, to AAA, AAA Lehigh Valley. Um, so that's my game of the week for me 
Tyler, what do you got your eye on? Yeah, I'm going to go to AA Birmingham and the White Sox system. Uh, Luis Robert, the 21-year-old outfielder who just torched the Carolina League in his starts of the season, uh, put up a 14-32 OPS there. He got the bump up to Birmingham. He's been really, really good with the Barons so far. He had a 4-for-5 night with a walk-off hit on uh, Tuesday and so far is slashing 309-363-543 there. And Luis Robert and the Birmingham Barons will be home playing host to the Montgomery Biscuits. That series started uh, today with the Rickwood Classic in which they played uh, – actually, no, started yesterday, but they played the Rickwood Classic today in which they played in one of the, the oldest surviving ballparks in all professional baseball. Um, pretty cool series between uh, – or pretty cool matchup every year between Birmingham and a Southern League opponent. That game wasn't on MILB TV, but back home uh, for the rest of the series of Regions Field, they will be, and you can catch Luis Robert and the rest of the Barons right there and then and that'll do it for this week's 211th episode of the show before the show podcast big thanks to tim dillard for joining the show again you can find him on instagram and nowhere else and uh for sam dexter i'm tyler mom we'll talk to you next week it's blazing hot outside you get in your car to turn on the ac to get cold air pumping but it blows hot air out this issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the ac system you want an easy all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time ac pro recharge kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero diy experience in less than 10 minutes save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an ac pro recharge kit today be a pro with ac pro